This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the hottest topics to hit the automotive industry, at least from a financial standpoint. Have you heard of this thing called reverse mergers? It also involves what they call SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies, also referred to as blank check companies. I'm telling you, there's a lot of uh, new startups that have signed up to do this, like Nikola and Fisker and Lordstown Motors, and we're going to learn more about it from somebody who's deeply involved in it because my special guest today is Steve Gursky. He's the managing director of a company called Vecto IQ. A lot of experience in the automotive industry, had been at General Motors and Opel, and uh, even represented the, the UAW on the board of General Motors. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, John. Great to be here. And I also have to mention, I've, I asked two of my colleagues to join me today who probably know more about this than I do, including David Welch from Bloomberg. Hello there, David. Hey, Good to have me, you. John. Good to be here. And John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal. Hello, hey, John. John. Thanks for having me. Steve, you know, I'm sure a lot of people watching have never heard of a reverse merger or anything like that. Quickly, thumbnail sketch. What is it all about? So, like you said, they're called SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corp. The SEC refers to these as blank check companies. Basically, you create a company, you take it public. The only asset is cash, and you have roughly two years to merge your public shell company into a private company as a backdoor way for that company to go public. So the shell is a a, a company that made products or produced services, got listed on an exchange, and for whatever reason, they're no longer doing that, but the legal shell still exists. No. So let's just be clear, John. The shell did nothing beforehand. You basically, and it's not like everybody could do this. You need a team, a credible team, a team that's uh, credible with investors. So we pulled a team together, including some ex-colleagues from GM, uh, and we launched this thing. And we had to communicate to investors, put your money with us, bet on us, because within the next two years, we're going to find a very credible deal here. And, and the, the rub is those investors who bet on you early, when you actually do a deal, they have the option to opt out if they don't like it. So we raised $230 million in the case of Nicola, uh, and we brought that $230 million to the company. And then we had to raise another five hundred alongside of it, so we raised $725 million. But the people who did the original two thirty, they had the option to opt out if they didn't like the deal. And the fact that the stock was trading up, there was no reason for them to opt out. So that's how that's how it worked. So Steve, think of it, think of it this way: think of it like a a sponsored IPO. And a company wants to go public. Instead of doing it on their own, they have a team of sponsor who's been able to diligence this thing uh, and communicate to investors in advance that we diligence this. We like this deal. We're willing to put our money on it. Uh, and you should put your money on it. So, Steve, how do you sell this initially to investors? Because essentially what you're saying is, hey, give us some money because we're going to find a good company that you're going to want to invest in and own for some period of time. Trust us. We're good deal guys. I mean, is that, is that basically the pitch, not just with yours, with, with SPACs in general? So that's the pitch, except think about what happens. You give me the cash. I invested in treasuries. 
the investor gets a treasury return or something close, and they get a piece of a warrant, which allows you to uh, buy the stock at a small premium in the future, which trades separately. So they're essentially getting paid to wait, and they get a free option on your deal because, like I said, they can opt out if they don't like it. What 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 is going on in venture capital where that's not an adequate uh, uh, vehicle here to to take these companies public? What, what what do you bring to the table that they don't? So here's what happened: the private market started to get really challenged, especially for the big check size. Think of what happened with WeWork. Think of what happened with SoftBank. The guys who are writing these big private checks, even Uber. Remember, the big institutions don't want to be locked up. You know, they invest in Uber and Uber says we're going to be public by, you know, within X years, then they're fine with that. When X years start to extend longer, all of a sudden these institutions start to sit there and say, I'm locked up a lot longer. In this situation, they're basically buying into a public enterprise and they're not locked up nearly as long. Frankly, they're barely locked up at all in this case. So they get a lot more liquidity sooner um, if they want out. So I think it's a combination of the private markets drying up here uh, and this avenue becoming available. And frankly, it's more of the democratization of this in a way that uh, the average retail investor can start to play something like this. How did you find Nikolai? So here's how it worked. We signed 75 NDAs, meaning we looked at 75 different situations. We actually made six, uh, they call them LOIs, letters of intent, and got one deal done. So it gives you an idea of the process you need to go through and, and our mandate was anything around transportation, okay? Anything, planes, trains, cars, up and down the value chain. We focused on new economy, but we, were, we looked at a bunch of old economy deals as well. And Nicola came to us, frankly, through an investment bank, through Cowan. Uh, they showed us this deal. We didn't really know what to make of it. We brought an army. Nicola was trying to raise money privately, you know, trying to raise a billion privately. They got about a quarter of the way done, uh, started to have trouble. We showed up with an army of people to diligence this thing. Again, a lot of people from my network, either my Morgan Stanley network, my GM network, or uh, what have you, and uh, to diligence this thing. And we needed to convince ourselves of a couple things. One, that new science didn't need to be invented here, that the risks around this were engineering risk, which is time and money. And two, more importantly is, because this was pre-revenue, is there going to be enough news flow here to keep investors interested until this company generates revenue. And I think when all of these start to come out, and there's been a lot since, Nicola, um, you need to ask that question. Investors need to ask that question. How much diligence was done on this situation? And is there going to be enough here between now and revenue? Or are investors ultimately going to get bored here? So what, if I'm in, explain the, uh, the reverse merger, that the, the necessity there and how that works. Uh, it, it sounds like you're finding another company that, that you can – you can team up here. How, how does that work? So, to, so we show up with our cash and 23 million shares, okay, and 230 million in cash. Um, we merge with those guys and we bring to the party cash, and then we just issued them uh, a whole lot of shares in some kind of exchange rate, depending on the value of the company. So we basically buy a company mostly some cash, but mostly for stock. And then when the merger closes, we just flip the symbol so the stock is their symbol, uh, and they basically run the company from there. So, Steve, if I'm an investor um, in your spec, I, I've got two concerns here. One is you've got two years to get a deal done. The sellers all know that. You made your deal you know, kind of getting close to your deadline. So 
Sure. The seller may drive up the price. So if I'm a shareholder, how do I know you're not getting, you know, you're, you're sweating it out and paying too much, number one. Number two, and you can address this one after, why fuel sales when it's clear electric drive has captured the imagination uh, and, and a lot of the you know, investor enthusiasm? Uh, right. So part one is SPACs are competitive. Remember, these companies have alternatives. They can raise money privately. They can do an IPO or there's about 90 other SPACs out there they could do business with. And the hope is the team we bring can bring something to the party here. Can we help them? Either our relationship with investors, either our relationship through the, uh, through the automotive community. Um, I'm just a board member now. But they know we have a big network of people, and if they need our network, they can tap into it any time we want. So that's a reason to do a deal with a, SPAC, with a certain SPAC versus other SPACs are just generalist SPACs, and then you're just uh, – it's an alternative to an IPO. Does that help? Mm -hmm. Does that get you there? Okay. Yeah. The second one on hydrogen, there's a lot of varied opinions on hydrogen. Our view was uh, after diligence – this with frankly a lot of deep battery guys who are electric vehicle tried and true if you want to haul potato chips around town electric vehicles fine if you want to carry cases of beer long distance you're going to need some kind of extender some kind of uh booster because the battery is going to be too big to make that run and hydrogen was a great avenue for that steve you must have been uh uh, also glad that there were other big corporations that had invested in Nikola, like Bosch, the giant supplier company, CNH, the, the parent company of Aveco, and I think it's called Hanwha, uh, the solar panel company out of Korea. Uh, was that one of the things that led you to go with Nikola? Because when I look at some of these other startups, automotive startups, doing a reverse merger, they, they don't have any of that uh, other investment from well-known companies. Uh, certainly the partners Nicola had uh, was value added to us. It gave us more comfort that this was possible. I mean, uh, CNH of Echo has put a lot of money, both cash and in-kind, into this thing. Bosch has put a, spent a lot of time and effort on this thing, so it gave us a lot of comfort uh, that this thing was going to come to fruition. And, and frankly, John, I've driven in the truck multiple times. I've driven in the truck. I've driven in the truck on battery. I've driven in the truck on hydrogen. So it's important. And, and we were lucky to get this done pre-COVID uh, so we can get out there and been, you know, frankly, I've been in that truck four times on four different occasions. But So this is all about transporting listen. beer. Yeah, really. I'm just a, um, I'm just a board member now. It's time, you know, the company's going to speak for the company going forward. And I, and I encourage you to watch and watch the progress. What, what's better, uh, Steve? I mean, if I'm Zooks or one of these companies that have been acquired by a bigger holding company or Amazon or what have you, um, if I'm Rivian right now and I'm looking to go in public, what's the better alternative, to be bought or to to do what Nikola has done and some others with, with this type of instrument and, and have, uh, have the future in your own hands? So the challenge, John, is there's three avenues. You can raise money privately. You could do a SPAC deal or you can do an IPO. Uh, if private money and what you give up by being public is your transparency is super important. Okay, right. you got to be you got SEC filings, you got public investors, news flow is important. You you basically got to be transparent. Keeping it private, um, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be mistakes made, and a lot of some school of thought is I'd rather make those mistakes privately than make them publicly, where the public markets could punish you for it. And, you know, over time, plenty of public companies have made mistakes and rallied back from it. So, um, but 
companies like Rivian, if they can raise large amounts of money privately, um, I, I think they would like to do that. Ultimately, the public markets are much deeper than the private market. So ultimately, as you ramp your business, my guess is Rivian will have to be public at some point. Is it a year from now, two years from now? It frankly depends on how big, uh, you know, there's some very large private companies out there. Still, SpaceX is a private company and it's a large company too, so. Do you think, do you think it's better for the auto industry to have a, 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 a surge in, in publicly traded tech companies and tech focused companies, or is it better for an Intel or to buy them up or a, another company to buy Mobileye and things like that. I mean, what, what for the health of the industry going forward? I, I think for the health of the industry, more capital coming into the sector is better than less capital. And just because capital comes in here to help these guys, you know, get to job one, so to speak, doesn't mean they can't be bought somewhere down the line. Okay. It doesn't mean there won't be consolidation of these things down the line. So I think more capital coming into this industry is better. The public markets, clearly have a preference now for pure place instead of transition. That may change over time. Uh, that could change over time. Um, but I think more capital in general coming into the industry is better. I think Intel and these companies are going to have to make strategic decisions of how do they want to play the future? Do they want to own all of something? Do they want to own part of something? I think that's a strategic decision those companies are going to have to make. But my opinion, getting more capital into this space, I mean, think about it. This is electrification's just a, you know, a piece of this. Okay, think about when autonomous comes. The amount of capital required to put that out there and scale that up is going to be enormous relative to this. Steve, if I'm a if I'm a startup in automotive, uh, whether it's autonomy, electrification, fuel cells, why would I ever do an IPO? Why wouldn't I just find a spec? It's a lot easier than going through the roadshow and have to, having to sell this and show financials. You know, not, well, I mean, let's, let's, in, look, a lot of IPOs that don't have any revenue, they tend to be Silicon Valley type technology where it's software, apps, things with much quicker turnaround, quicker route to revenue and profitability than automotive technology, which can be, as we've seen with Tesla, a decade and a lot of capital before any kind of profits show up. SPAC seems to be almost an end run around an IPO. And I, I don't necessarily mean that in a pejorative way. It just seems like a new, you know, such a new way of, of going public without actually having to do all that work. Well, you still have a lot of work to do, okay? There's still projections involved here. There's diligence involved here uh, that, frankly, could be more onerous than an IPO in a way. I mean, there's, we really crawled all over these guys, so it wasn't pleasant at times, let's put it that way, but uh, we felt like we needed to do it. Um, on an IPO, um, it may be cheaper. Uh, maybe cheaper in there, you know, they got to weigh dilution of a SPAC versus how much they would get out of an IPO. Um, there's reasons for both. Right now, if a lot of these earlier stage companies need sponsors. Uh, they need sponsors, and this is so the SPAC route is more efficient in that sense. Steve, we're seeing an enormous amount of interest in investing in electric startups. You know, it's it's what they call FOMO, I guess, fear of missing out. Everybody wants to get into the next Tesla. Isn't there a danger of fraud in in this whole reverse merger approach? Not with you, obviously, and Nicolo. Everything's been very public. But it seems to me with, you know, some of these more dubious startups, there's a real potential for investors to get wiped out. So these things don't always work, and that's important. Okay, investors need to know that there's risk with these, okay, especially early stage. What you're hoping 
is that the sponsors have done diligence on this and are able to communicate the diligence. But, John, the SEC is out there. There's a lot of filings with the SEC. Okay, risk factors need to be made known. Um, so it's not like you can sell anything out there. Um, but you, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on this stuff up front. And then there is a tr ultimate transparency because you have to file with the SEC. And to John's point, Steve, what kind of anxiety or responsibility do you feel? One of the things you said earlier was you want to make sure that there's enough news in between no revenue and revenue to keep this thing moving. I mean, you're watching the stock. You see, you know, different things happen. I mean, your reputation's on the line. Steve Gursky, board member, what role do you play? Is that any different than you would in, in, in another company? Um, a little bit more uh, personal reputation on the line? and making sure that this thing meets the potential that you thought it had when you when you shopped it to all these investors. Yeah, listen, and I don't I don't doubt there's going to be twists and turns here, but um, I did put my reputation on the line for this thing. And my reputation goes back deep with investors. It goes back deep in the industry. And I want to make this work and I want to do what I can to help this company make it work. And if that's helping them tap my network, if they want for my advice. I'm happy to do that. My experience with situations like this, though, is these guys like to run fast, and I don't want to slow them down. Okay, so I'm there when they need me. My reputation's out there, you know, particularly on this deal. And frankly, if I ever want to do another one of these, right. it's important to me that this thing works. Right. So I'm going to do everything in, uh, that I can to make this work. And my network, who's also um, some of which are invested in this thing, also uh, want to do what they can to make this work. This is not a, you know, do it and gone kind of thing. This is a long-term situation in my mind. This thing is, is a lot to do here. But frankly, if we want to do another one or any other kind of deal with investors, uh, it's important that these things work. Steve, why is reverse mergers all of a sudden the rage in the automotive industry? I, I think I first learned about them maybe close to 20 years ago and nothing happened, nothing happened. All of a sudden, you do the deal with Nikola, and everyone's coming out of the woodwork to do one. Yeah, so let's we we tried to solve a complicated problem, okay? And we were able to do that successfully. And a lot has to do with the company, and a lot has to do with the team uh, we brought. Um, but that's how we did. And I think what John from 20 years ago, the structure of these SPACs has changed. It used to be 20 years ago. The investor get to vote on your deal, yes or no, and give me my money back kind of thing. So not only do you have a challenge with the company, but you had a challenge with the investors at the end that they could hold you up uh, at the end also. What that happened in recent years is they split the two votes at the end. Do you let me do the deal? Yes, no. There's no downside for voting no because there's no economic consequence of that. Do you want your money back is a different question. If they want their money back at 10 bucks or wherever they bought it, then I just need to find a way to replace that money, okay, through what they call a pipe or whatever. So uh, certainly the dynamic has changed, uh, which has made these better. And it's not just here, by the way. There's some enormous SPACs being done. Bill Ackman just did a $4 billion, raised $4 billion, and uh, trust me, I'm uh, going to do a good deal. So there's been some enormous deals done in this space. So what, what is Nikola's uh, secret sauce when it comes to fuel cell technology? GM and Honda have a venture. There are some others out there. Uh, what did you see when you were doing your technological auto industry side due diligence, not the financial, that made you think that these guys have something so that can really work? 
So Nicola is going to speak for Nicola going forward. Leading up to this, we saw, as John said earlier, a bunch of partners with deep expertise in the space. And there was some technology embedded in here that was interesting to us and our advisors. I'm not a technical guy, but I have to rely. I brought a lot of technical people to this party to help us. Is, is there more energy? You guys probably know a lot of them. Go ahead. Is there, is there more momentum in propulsion right now or in autonomous? I mean, where should we look for more activity if, if more SPACs emerge and, and these companies want to go public? Um, I think what you're seeing now is this whole um, vehicle EV infrastructure, whether it's vehicles, whether it's, uh, you know, infra other infrastructure. I think there's a lot of capital going into that space, uh, whether it's going in privately or publicly. There's a lot of capital going in there. You've seen a lot of EV plays. We'll see how many actually work. Um, I don't think you've seen autonomous plays yet because I don't think people have been able to demonstrate the path to revenue for autonomous yet. And you need a credible path to revenue. Uh, no, it's out there. Everybody knows the benefits of this, but when are you going to start to generate revenue and how much and what do I, how much cash do I have to put into this thing uh, before I generate revenue? So think about it. You've seen uh, connected vehicle. If you think about the big trends, connected vehicle, cars are, uh, all connected, embedded modems. Uh, it's a long way from when we first put LTE into every GM car, but virtually every car is connected now. That investment's already been made, and now it's like, what are the business models that we could do something with that data? Okay, so you're seeing companies, but that's not a big capital expense. That's more of like software type stuff. The, elect the mobility as a service, that's already, that investment's already made. Those companies are public. It's about, you know, whether there's a real business there, time, time will tell. Um, and now the electrification where there's a lot of money coming, there's revenue right on the horizon. You're seeing Tesla take off. You're seeing a lot of EVs start to hit the market. So there's investor appetite for some of that stuff. And autonomous, I would argue, is still out there. I would argue there's still some private rounds of funding that need to get put together here before this actually uh, takes off in a public manner. Because hmm. frankly, we don't know when, they, when it's going to generate revenue and how much revenue is going to be generated. Is this a bubble, Steve, electrification? Um, I think there'll be companies that, that kill it, and there are companies that will go by the wayside. And how the market values these goes up and down, I'm not quite sure um, how it is. You know, frankly, I'm a little surprised at how many of these are coming, and frankly, rumors are there's more coming. So I'm a little well, and surprised I, and at I, and that. I like, but, I, I like the role that you, you, you at least have positioned yourself as playing, which is a, an, an external validation. I think a Faraday Future and, you know, a number of other you know names, the first Fisker and things that came along. And not to say that they didn't have a lot of, they hired all kinds of people. They hired everybody from Tesla or Vic Doolin was with and Bob Lutz. You see all these names thrown in there. But the the willingness for, you, you know, a, a, a name brand to come in and, and, and put real capital behind this seems to have been lacking in some of the Tesla fighters uh, gone by that now we don't we don't even know the status of those companies. Right. And, but, but to be fair, they got caught in an, in an industry downturn. You know, Tesla got money from uh, DOE loans. Fisker didn't get the money. Uh, things fell apart. Could have been different. Hard to know. Um, but yeah, but certainly uh, external validation helps here. Or Steve, they were got very imagine. badly managed and, and, and they sold a bill of goods to the public. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I also think that a lot of people were burned by uh, a number of the names that we just brought up. 
So Steve, what, to John's point, what you are and, and other specs, if you guys are doing your jobs right, you're gatekeepers that ensure the investing public that at a minimum, the companies you're, you're acquiring through reverse merger and basically giving funding to are, you know, they have legit management and at least enough technology where somebody should take a look at this and at least get it off the ground as opposed to the others that really had no validation. And to John's point, a lot of them did fall by the wayside. Listen, and I think some will fall by the wayside, but we don't, uh, we did what was right for our deal. Okay. And whether that opened the door for all these other deals, um, not, not sure, but um, we had to, to make to, for our network, for our reputation, there were a lot of people in this back, and we wanted to make sure we covered every ground, every you know stone unturned that we could. Steve, we're down to about the, the last minute or so here, but I've got to imagine now that you've completed the Nikola deal, it's got to be easier. I, I've got to believe that you've got all kinds of startups beating a path to your door. Uh, we're pretty active. We stay active. We saw a lot of private situations during our process that looked pretty interesting. Um, there's some potential public situations could be public out there. So we're pretty active right now and we'll keep looking at some of this stuff. And, uh, I think there's some pretty good stuff out there. And there's, frankly, there's new economy stuff and there's old economy stuff where new economy could really help enable these things. So it's a pretty exciting time in the space, John. But in everything that you're talking about, at least for Vecto IQ, is going to be transportation related. That's what we do. Yes. Everything around transportation. If it moves, we can be involved with it. Okay, real good. With that, we're going to have to, to wrap it up. But Steve Gursky, Managing Director, Vecto IQ, very interesting. I, I think we've only whetted everybody's appetite here. And I, I've got to give a, a shout out. John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal. David Welch from Bloomberg. Thanks so much for being on the show today, guys. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks, John. Course, Great to be with you guys. Yeah, and as I always wrap up every show, I want to thank all of you who are watching out there. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.